Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today, we're talking about the AASM's efforts to create a diverse and welcoming environment that values the contributions of all members. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Spector, Chair of the AASM Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Dr. Spector is a neurologist and sleep medicine specialist at Duke Health in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to Talking Sleep, Dr. Spector. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to start out by putting you on the spot a little bit. Um, I'm a little surprised that the chair of a diversity committee is a white male. So when we talked earlier, though, I learned that this is an issue you're passionate about. So tell me, why did you get involved with the ASM's DEI committee? Right. Well, I'm glad we're going to talk about this. We'll get this uh, right up front. Um, yeah, I think that uh, overall, I'm trying to encourage wo- more white men to be involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. I think this is something that requires everybody's attention and not something that can be left uh, to underrepresented members of our uh, academy. Uh, it can't be left to people who have faced the discrimination uh, to fix it themselves. I don't think that's right. So my overall philosophy is that if I'm not part of the solution, then I'm just contributing to the problem. So I got involved because I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do so. I love the way you phrase that. So tell me, what have you learned since joining the DEI committee? You know, what have you learned about the, maybe the ASM, about yourself? Well, I'll tell you, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised at uh, just how open the ASM is to making the structural reforms and changes that are needed to become a fully anti-racist and fully uh, inclusive organization. And this starts at the top. And we were, we were initially created as a presidential task force when Dr. Doug Kirsch was president. And then uh, Dr. Cardin's presidency, she converted it to a committee. And so going back several years now, even before this uh, 2020 push for diversity and inclusion, the ASM was leading on this. And our presidents were saying this is going to be important to the academy. Uh, and so I think that such a, 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 a great uh, feature of the Academy of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is that they're out in front on a lot of this. So um, I can't say that I was surprised because I've been a member for years. And, and I think that this has been a, a very inclusive organization. But uh, to really emphasize this in the way that, that having a standing committee really pl- puts this on the, the front burner of, uh, of the ASM's mission, as well as including it now in the strategic planning and the goals of the entire organization. It shows the deep commitment that the leadership has. So did it let you learn anything about yourself? About myself? Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I and I say that, so I say that not tongue-in-cheek, so yeah. I am a brown female, mm-hmm. and as part of some of our committee work that we've done, you know, through the years, there is this implicit bias training, and I guess I initially approached it as, well, I'm going to smoke this because I am both female and I have brown skin, and it it really kind of surprised me to go through it and to recognize that 
even though I felt pretty fluent in this area, I, I have my own implicit bias. And it was really important for me to learn that about myself and then right. to kind of reframe how I approached, you know, moving forward. Right. Because the, the number one step is accepting that bias is human and that we all have them. And, and, and so most of my work in this field is not spent in trying to eliminate biases. And we can't educate ourselves out of having biases. The, the bias education is, is more focused on the recognition that we have them um, so that we have strategies to mitigate their impact on our lives, but, but not to eliminate them simply because I don't know that that is something that we can, we can educate our way out of. There's no bias training seminar you're going to take. Uh, bias comes from the, the cultural milieu that we live in, not from a, a, a course that we take. So um, we all do have to recognize our own biases that way. And certainly doing this work, um, you know, I, I, I have a great committee that I've worked with and it, and it changes each year as the volunteers change each year. And so I learn from each of them because each, each member of the committee comes in with different life experiences. And so, you know, for example, if, if we're an organization that has focused too heavily on, say, physicians at the expense of our uh, advanced practice providers, you know, someone on the committee is going to say, you know, but, but how are we phrasing this wording to make sure that we include uh, our APPs in this so that it's inclusive language and just keeping all of the different identities that we're, we're, we're addressing on the radar at once. And that's one of the challenges of DNI work, because it's not just race and it's not just gender, which get a lot of attention, but it's inclusion in all its forms and all of the different uh, members that we have for throughout the ASM. And I think your point is really well taken. You know, a few years ago, I was chatting with a friend of mine who is cardiology um, background, you know, he's cardiology and sleep. And, and, and I mean, this is many years ago, but he, he told me that he always felt like he was left out, like it was kind of clicky. And I think he, of course, you know, he, he has had a lot more positive experiences over the last few years, but that was his initial impression, right? That, that sleep is for the pulmonologists and the neurologist and maybe the ENT. And he didn't feel like he had a voice. Right. And so when we collect our data, one, one of our, our goals on the DEI committee is to collect data about our members so that we can see who might be underrepresented. And practice specialty is among the pieces of data we look at, um, along with geography and what type of practice. Are you a solo practitioner versus uh, an employed or an academic practitioner? And in fact, Solo practitioners were identified over this past year as being an underrepresented group in uh, ASM leadership. So we actually had efforts in place to, to make sure that those who ran solo practices were more included in the ASM. So these are, are broadly applicable principles um, in terms of how to be an inclusive organization. Um, and we definitely look at, at things like practice specialty as one of them. And I thought that that was really important because when I brought when I brought up his feelings, you know, just in conversation with some ASM people, you know, their initial reaction was, oh my gosh, that is not at all what we intended. You know, it was just sort of an unintended consequence of whatever the construct was, you know, at that time. But they were very intentional about including, right? And this is way, like you said, this is way before the 2020 push. This was way back when, you know, and I think it really has helped enrich us. You know, I have some colleagues that are endocrine trained you know, and I'm like, hey, why don't you go do like your sleep fellowship? <laughs> you know, come join us. You know, I think, you know, come come to the dark side and come be, you know, part of our group. Um, 
one of the things when I chat with my friends, and we all have different backgrounds, right? We're all over the country, and some are neuro and pulmonary and internal medicine and and peds and whatnot. Um, universally, though, I think sleep people are pretty nice. Well, I think that's. Uh, I mean, I can't har- I can't argue with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, just the way that the uh, the ASM is structured, if people are feeling like they're being left out. You know that then it looks to the 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 systems in place that have led to that, right? Because nobody's intending to be exclusionary, right? If that's the feeling people are getting, it's it's because we're sending signals that aren't intended to be sent. Because like you said, you talked to the leaders, and nobody wanted uh, your cardiologist friend to feel that way, right? Exactly. That wasn't intentional. But it, exactly, it, it, these things rise from systems that that were not necessarily designed to be inclusive. They, and so one of the initial steps we took on the DEI committee was to look at things like the bylaws and to say, okay, who is going to be in leadership and how do you qualify to be in leadership? And let's make sure that the process by which we pick our volunteers and our leaders uh, is inclusive so that it doesn't depend on a, a who you know click type of atmosphere to get one of these positions in the ASM. So, so we look at those structures and processes and policies to try to make sure that it's not about any one person and who you know, but how can the organization run in, a, in an inclusive manner from a system standpoint. So is that kind of your main charge then for the DEI committee? Well, so I think that's where we started and, and it evolves because once you've put those systems and policies in place, there are other things to move on to. So uh, that's the initial step in my mind, though, that, that you have to look at the systems. And we hear a lot about the, uh, across other organizations and the country at large, the idea of systemic racism, that it does, the idea being that institutions can uh, maintain racist policies with no individual actually intending to do so, that they function autonomously in a racist manner, and they've been set up to do that. Um, And so our goal is not just for for anti-racism efforts, but inclusion on all levels to look through and find those areas of the organization that may just have self-perpetuating bias and, and root those out. But once we've done that, we move on to other things. So We've, we've been transitioning in our later years. This is now uh, the beginning of my, my fourth year with this group. Um, and in, in this year, we're doing less of that systems work because we laid the groundwork for that already. And now we're reaching out and doing more in the space of, of education and programming uh, to teach people how to run inclusive practices at, at their own institutions or in their own private practices or whatever group they work with now. Um, so we want to build up some of the education resources that the AASM provides its members uh, in that space. And we're working on doing focus groups to learn about what barriers the people who are not on our committee see, uh, because the people on our committee are already selected as volunteers. So they've already made it through that process. Mm. So now we're reaching out to the people who have not been volunteers historically at the AASM to find out why not? And what we can do to get them more included in the in the organization. So I think we laid the groundwork with the systems changes up front. Uh, and now we're moving on to other projects. Well, because that's that's one of the things we always worry about, right? That that this whole, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, it, it, it's a buzzed a buzzword, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to really make sure that that's not what this is. 
you know, so you've kind of outlined some of these really concrete, granular ways that the ASM is making changes. You know, um, can you tell me a few more? You know, I was I was reading something about even the bylaws, like going through the bylaws to look uh, for ways in which bias could maybe prevent full inclusion in the ASM. Right. So the example would be uh, the the way we pick our leaders is run through a nominating committee. Right. So the nominating committee has applications for leadership and they review them and they they pick a slate of people and then the the uh, members vote. But it's actually not a contested election because only one person for each position is put up for election. So the nominating committee has a lot of power here and that's in the bylaws. So the question became, what process are they using to select those candidates? And getting into the, the details of that process to make sure that there weren't biases in there that were preventing some people from reaching leadership positions. And there's so many examples of how that can be, uh, just in terms of, uh, are you coming from a, a prominent institution? Are you well known to the members of the nominating committee? Uh, and there are things that don't actually matter in terms of your skill in doing a leadership position that could easily influence people if there isn't a system in place to be monitoring for that. Um, what, af what information is not actually needed? You know, honestly, names. There's a lot of evidence that mm -hmm. reviewing an application without it being anonymous uh, can influence how you see that application just by being influenced by the name on the application. And so can we make them anonymous in terms of reading applications? So these are the types of structural changes we're talking about uh, that are going on. And I don't know that all the members know these things are happening in the background. So I wanted to, to you know, to come on this uh, discussion with you uh, to make sure that people know that that systemic changes are actually happening in the background. And so, you know, what's really funny is I was I was sort of in the room um, on the nominating committee for two years and it, there was definitely intentionality and, and a change even with those two years. And I, I actually kind of like that they don't advertise it because it, it doesn't seem like they're just doing it for like to check the box right from like right. a PR standpoint they're doing it internally and not really <laughs> you know making it really this big splashy announcement and to right. me that seems more genuine and it and I really think the dedication is coming and and you know I mentioned Dr. Kirsch and Dr. Cardin and their presidencies and this was a big one that Dr. Ramar and his presidency was spearheading and and uh, he took this on, you know, personally, he, he really felt like this was an important thing. Uh, so as president, this was an area of focus for him. Uh, so this really does come from the leadership on down. And I love that the leadership is receptive, right? Like, because didn't you guys look at um, like, didn't you write like a, a commitment statement and, and kind of approach it that way? Yeah, the, the board has been a, such a great partner for our committee. It's really working synergistically because, you know, we get ideas from them and we give ideas to them. And I think it's, it's great. We recently created these two new awards that were given out this year. One of them was um, the uh, DEI Leadership Award that was just given out at Sleep. It's a joint award with the uh, SRS. And then one were scholarships to help diversify the attendees at the annual meeting. And those ideas came from the board to us to help implement. Oh, I didn't um, know that. That's very yeah, cool. So, so we, we were tasked with coming up with the criteria and implementation and reviewing applications. And, and so we administered it. But that actually 
uh, came down to us. So this is bi-directional and it's been a great team effort, uh, but the board is fully committed to this. So let's go ahead and take a short break. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Whether you're prepping for your sleep medicine boards or interested in the newest developments in patient care, the AASM has you covered. Join us in person in Austin, Texas for Sleep Medicine Trends and Sleep Medicine Essentials, September 10th through 12th. Get all the details and register at aasm.org live courses. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. I'm with Dr. Andrew Spector, chair of the AASM's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. So let's talk a little bit more about some of these mandates and, and some of these things that you've achieved through your committee. Sure. Um, aside from the, the uh, leadership award and the travel grant, those are some of our newest uh, accomplishments that I think are going to really do uh, uh, important work down the road at helping to uh, support the work of DNI leaders in the field as well as diversify our meeting. I think those are important goals. We've also had a variety of webinars. Our committee uh, created several different educational webinars which are available through the ASM website. Um, talking about uh, recruiting uh, diverse faculty and residents. And we had uh, a session on uh, um, how to be uh, a diverse and inclusive leader. Um, the board of directors and the committee chairs all went through uh, bias training with regard to being leaders in the ASM. Uh, we created a website with these resources. Um, there's a, a new DNI commitment statement that came out this year. So it's been a very active, uh, committee and, uh, we've got a, a variety of things on tap for this year as well. So then how, what about us as a sleep community as a whole? I mean, how can we become a more diversified and, and more diverse and inclusive field? Well, it starts always with, the uh, with our specialties, our feeder specialties, um, we've got to make sure that we're reaching out to all the different feeder specialties. And those specialties uh, also need to be working on diversifying. But beyond that, sleep medicine, according to the most recent AAMC statistics, is actually less racially diverse than most of our feeder specialties. So for example, if you look at internal medicine, uh, they attract higher percentages of underrepresented uh, physicians. So that would be Black, Hispanic, Native American, Hispan uh, uh, Pacific Islander, Hawa Native Hawaiian. Uh, and they're the, compared to the other fellowships in internal medicine, sleep is on the low end of diversity. That's true of neurology as well. Sleep is on the low end compared to the diversity within neurology. So even if we say that the feeder specialties aren't that diverse, neurology is my background, and I'll tell you that we struggle uh, with diversity in neurology, but sleep is still on the low end, even within that. So there is a ways to go just to improve diversity to the level of our own feeder specialties. I think it's pretty common for people to think about DEI in terms of race, right? But what about other metrics like, like gender? What about um, age? What about sexual orientation? Yeah, so we definitely look at all of those factors. And, and this is my chance to plug 
filling in the uh, ASM profile. So if anyone listening has not completed the ASM uh, member profile, I'd really encourage you to do that because this is how we collect all of this data. But we're looking at not just race, we're looking at uh, gender and age and practice type. Are you academic or, or uh, private practice? Um, we're looking at what specialty you come from. We're looking at your profession. I mean, the ASM is full of people of, of different professional backgrounds as well. So um, we're looking at all of these things. And, you know, it's important to know that uh, when we look at the ASM, we're about 60, 40 male, female right now, but that's changing. We're getting closer to equity uh, with gender. But at the same time, when you look at the leadership, we actually are even closer because our, our nominating committee is putting a lot of emphasis on um, diversity in the leadership. So if you look at the uh, racial diversity of the ASM, the leadership diversity is actually more racially diverse than the membership at large. Same with gender diversity, because they're putting special effort to make sure that we have representation from all of our groups. And this is also true to make sure that we have our advanced practice providers and our sleep technicians and everybody is represented in uh, committees and other positions uh, of influence in the ASM. So we're looking at all kinds of different aspects of diversity. Well, and I think that makes it for a much richer tapestry, right? Like how many times, you know, I'm constantly learning from our sleep techs and from our colleagues or our, you know, APPs. I'm learning from everybody all the time. So why wouldn't we want to include them? And, and the other thing I kind of appreciate is maybe it's this Zoom thing, but I really appreciated, you know, when you sign up for something and there's like a drop down menu, there's a ton of drop downs for your professional designation, but then there's also a drop down for um, are you hearing impaired or visually impaired? You know, are you mobility impaired? Exactly. I love that we're acknowledging that. And, and we're trying to, to gather, gather that information so that when you come to an annual meeting, for example, uh, then we know that we need to provide certain services to make sure that this is an inclusive meeting. We don't want anyone to get to that meeting and feel like they can't fully participate because of, of a hearing impairment or a visual impairment. Um, or a mobility impairment, we want to make sure that we account for all of these in our planning. So that's another aspect of diversity. Um, and we try not to, to uh, perpetuate ableism in, in how we uh, run our meetings. Well, and I think that was an unintended consequence, a, a, a nice silver lining of the pandemic, is that things became much more accessible, you know, in terms of not having to fly to meetings and not mm -hmm. having to get hotel and not having to physically go there. Um, and I hope that we we retain those lessons and I hope we keep some of that because that's really made a, a, a huge impact for people that had access issues, right, or, or ability issues. Right. We think that that's probably one of the major reasons that solo practitioners are underrepresented within the leadership of the ASM. Uh, the volunteers and leaders have are... are, are frequently made up of a higher percentage of academics. And that's probably a time issue. Mm -hmm. You know, who has the who has protected time to go to meetings and, and things like that. So we are looking at that and solo practitioners were considered an underrepresented group at the AASM. Uh, and and in fact, one of the scholarships that we created to help support people traveling to the meeting, uh, what one of the areas of diversity that people could apply for was being a, a solo practitioner. 
Oh, no way. I didn't know that. ASM supported them with funds saying, we know it's hard for you to close your practice. So we want to support you because we want you to be included. Um, So, right. There's a lot of focus on race, rightfully so, but it's not at all uh, our only focus on the committee. That's actually really cool because I, you know, I joke, I read sleep studies at every meeting we've ever had (laughs) and I have to kind of figure out, okay, I know I'm going to get that obligatory Friday night (laughs) dump of sleep studies and when am I going to read these? Because, you know, because they, like, you don't want to come back to this gigantic pile of work to do, right? So I always have to earmark time to do that. And so how cool is that? Yeah, so we're, we really are trying to be as inclusive as possible and support them, all the different types of members. Because I hear you, our lab runs like 360 nights a year. So there isn't really a break <laughs> for, for travel or conferences or vacation or any of it. So we, we recognize that and we try to be supportive and inclusive for, for whatever uh, professional background you have to make sure that you're supported. So that scholarship that we've got now for underrepresented people that's underrepresented uh, you know, in any number of different ways. And we allow people to tell us. So when, when you apply for that scholarship, if you've never been to an annual meeting and you have one of these obstacles, uh, you, know, you can tell us in what way are you underrepresented and, and we'll factor that in and we'll try to help you um, get to the meeting. So that scholarship will be available again next year. And we just ask you to, to fill out the application that'll include how are you underrepresented um, and, and how will attending the meeting facilitate your career advancement and what way would you most likely be involved in the ASM in the future? So take a look at all the different committees that the ASM offers, start thinking about how you can be involved because you know, our ultimate goal is inclusion. How can we include you in the, in the committees and leadership of the ASM in the future? So that's the reason we offer in the scholarship to make sure that we can uh, be inclusive of all our members. And you know what's kind of cool about all of this is I think that will just naturally spill over into how we care for our patients too. So tell me about what the AASM is doing to improve health equity and access to care and to help reduce sleep health disparities. Yeah, so this is actually a new uh, mandate given to us by the board this year. Our committee has been very much focused on on the AASM itself and working internally. And this year we've been directed to start turning our attention outside. And so we actually have a goal for this year that's looking at sleep labs in underserved areas and how we can be better supportive of of those groups. Um, And with regard to to disparities in the population, that is actually a second goal that the board has given us this year to start looking at that and picking out target disparities that the AASM should be focusing on. So we're we're now starting to turn our attention as, as an organization to solving uh, some of those uh, concerning issues. Wow, that's a, that's a lot on your plate, but I, I know there's more. So tell me what else, <laughs> what else you have planned for the future. So other things we've got planned for the future, uh, we're working on on focus groups. That's a big focus this year. Uh, and and that's to try to get the information. I mentioned this before uh, about what the members would like to see us do. Um, and that way we can get information from, from both directions. Like I said, the, the board is very good about working with us and we want to reach out to the members and get their opinions too. So if you get contacted to serve on a focus group, I hope you're willing to do that. But if not, and you have opinions about how to make the ASM more diverse, equitable, and inclusive, the ASM's webpage, if you go to the DEI webpage, has a big comment box. 
Um, and those all do come to me. I see all the comments that people have put in. <laughs> I have responded to everyone. Uh, so everybody, it, it, I do it in, in aggregate. You're not going to necessarily get a personal response because what we do is we publish all of those. Um, and so we recently did that. We, all, the res- all the questions that we've gotten, uh, we wrote up answers to and put that on the website because we're trying to be transparent. So mm-hmm. we, we are open. If you have a concern, we will publish the concern and we'll address it the best we can. Um, so, so please feel free to use that comment box on our website and send us feedback. Uh, or, you know, if you're asked to join a focus group, that'd be even better. We get you, we get to talk to you, uh, in a small group setting and you can, you can share your feedback with us directly. So this kind of plays off of what you said at the beginning that, you know, you are not necessarily right. You're not a a female and you're not uh, a, a visible minority. And you feel like you need to do some work because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And so I kind of wonder then if this work shouldn't just fall on your committee either, right? So how can we, either other committees or membership, help to further your goal of being inclusive? And so you've kind of talked about focus groups. Um, What else can we do? I love that you asked that question. That is, a, <laughs> that is fantastic because <laughs> that's actually, uh, you know, when you ask me about health disparities and health disparities is on our uh, goals statement for the, for, from the board for the year, but realistically, virtually every ASM committee could in some way be looking at the health disparities as they pertain to their own uh, work. And so um, I am happy to partner uh, with any committee who wants to discuss that further, any of the committee chairs out there, committee members who are listening, um, there are ways uh, not only to run a diverse and inclusive committee, that's important, but I'm talking in, in terms of advancing health equity among our patients. Um, there are ways that virtually every committee that the ASM has could be looking at these issues. Um, so you're right. I don't think it's just about the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee solving health disparities in all of sleep medicine. That's that's unrealistic for for our committee alone. But as an organization, we have so much expertise in so many different areas of, of sleep medicine that this is something that we could seriously address um, if we if we come together as an organization and really decide to make this a priority. Um, and e- each committee could be taking in their uh, their chunk of the of the um, of the of the problem. Well, clearly you're passionate. <laughs> so, Andrew, thank you so much for your commitment to be part of the solution, both on a personal level and from a committee level. You know, we obviously have a lot of, of work to do. And we all have our own role to play in dismantling systemic racism and creating equitable communities. You know, there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. This makes me a little bit um, reflective. Right. And it makes me feel glad to be part of an organization that makes this important. Yeah. And, and the rest of the, the answer I should give you is that there are people who are listening who are not necessarily members or committee members of, at the ASM uh, who want to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organization. And so uh, we're starting to build out that resource list. But there, there are always things that you can be doing at home in your own institutions um, and so if you don't have a leader that you can reach out to at your institution, then you can become that leader. And mm. the ASM is going to hopefully provide resources to help train you. Uh, if not, honestly, I'd be happy to talk to anyone about what we do. Uh, 
you know, I, I do the, the similar job at, at Duke where, where I'm, you know, my full-time job is. And so uh, I'm happy to talk to anyone. I think this is important. And you don't have to be uh, from an underrepresented background. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be anything. You could be anyone. Uh, you know, the, the hashtag that I go with is uh, diversity officer diversity, right? Hmm. Uh, let's get everybody involved in this uh, to solve this together. Um, it takes the burden uh, away. So we don't want to overburden our underrepresented colleagues with doing all this themselves. So that's where that's where we can all help out. I, I think you're exactly right. You know, I think last year we spoke with Dr. Dana Johnson and she mentioned that, that she loves being able to educate and share her experiences on this, but, but it does create a little bit of that having to relive it mm -hmm. phenomenon. And so exactly. if we can sort of share that burden, right, is, is what you're suggesting and recommending really. Exactly. I, I think that, that that's, that's the responsibility that many of us have um, to use that privilege we have of not having this as a day-to-day -day, uh, burden that we live with uh, to put our effort in this way. And, you know, I, I don't make the decisions on what we need to be doing because these are not my life experiences necessarily, but that's where we come in with the committee. I have a fantastic vice chair, Dr. Kyra Clark, who I bounce ideas off of, the whole committee I bounce ideas off of. So this is a team effort. And, you know, yes, I, you know, I, I try to play the leadership role for the group, but it's an organizational role and a systems role. But in terms of the idea of what needs to change, these are the ideas that are coming from the people with the lived experiences. And then I try to implement their suggestions. I love that. What a great way of supporting our colleagues. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing to further the DEI committee. And we appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share what we're doing with the, with the AASM membership. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well. <laughs>